So one more time, the one who has all power, the one who knows no mystery, the one who never experiences any kind of lack, says this to us, his people today. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Now this morning, turn another page in this brief and not in any way complete study of the subject of the Lord's calling us to trust Him. But today we look at the subject of trusting Him with, with folks we worry about. You have anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. You know, there's some people that it's just easy to trust the Lord with because you feel like they're, they love the Lord, or they're, they're trying to honor him with their life, their choices seem to be down that straight and narrow that he calls us, that highway of holiness that he calls us to walk down. Our hearts can still be burden for them because we know this world is not an easy place to live in. and The prince of the power of the air will try to come against followers of Jesus and make our way difficult. But somehow we just find it easier to believe that, that the Lord's got them, that the Lord's taking care of them. But what about those that are just out there? Uh, they may not ever look up. Things about the choices they've made, the, the course that they've seen fit to follow in their life, burden us because we know, we know that the Word of God says the way of the transgressor is hard. There are the passing pleasures of sin, yes, but the way of the transgressor is hard. That God, God is not mocked. That whatever a man or a woman sows, that, that's what you're going to reap. And the harvest never comes the next day. The harvest always comes on down the line. And it always comes back with a multiplication of the seed, the one seed that's put in the ground here. It's multiplied out there. There's more of it, and it always comes later. And for folks like that, that probably all of us have some heart connection with, we've, we can just be burdened for them. We, we can... And then we just need to use the word. Sometimes we just worry about them. We know the scripture says, be, be anxious for nothing. But sometimes it's hard not to be anxious for them. 
And that's what I want us to look at this morning. The Lord does not deal with us. The real Jesus does not deal with us in theoretical terms. He, he, he doesn't deal with us just in a classroom setting. He is, he is real. He is here. There's nothing that's going on within us or around us, to us, through us, that he isn't completely aware of. That there's no emotion within us that he is not aware of. It's Christ in me, my hope of glory. Therefore, the Christ in me knows everything in me and in you. So he knows where we can struggle with trusting him with certain folks. I want you to go with me one more time to that one or two parts of your Bible that may just nearly be worn out. You've come to Alamo City very long, and it's Luke chapter 15. It's one of those sections. There is a story that Jesus made up that Jesus crafted. Jesus is the screenwriter for this brief movie. Not a movie, it's a story he tells, but he creates the characters, he creates the dialogue, he creates the plot, he creates the outcome. Specifically for the purpose of unveiling the heart of the Father in the story. And you know what the story is about? Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, is the story about a father, about a dad, who had to trust this runaway son into the hands of the heavenly father to ultimately take care of him, get him through that season in his life, and bring him back home. Not necessarily home in the sense of always being a child to the father, but coming back home to what the boy had been raised to be and to do. Instead of just completely throwing off all the shackles and all the restraints and all the upbringing, all the background, that the day would come when he would return to the God of his father. Jesus tells us that story. And, and I want to encourage you to, to, to let the faces, let the situations that worry you in the lives of ones you care for, let, let them rise in your heart this morning. And not assuming that we're talking about somebody else or we're just trying to create some theoretical straw man to deal with, disassemble, and, and defeat. No, it's, it's the reality of where we're living and what we're feeling. Let, let those faces come up as we read it. Follow along, and I won't, we won't read all of it, but we just need to hear these words of Jesus. Let, let, let Jesus tell this story to us one more time, but seeing it and listening to it in the light of ones we worry about, trusting him with the ones we worry about. Verse 11, and Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided, the father divided his wealth between them. Jesus tells that, and that's the part of the plot. The father divided his wealth between the two brothers. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together everything and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, Jesus continues, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he, that citizen, sent him into his fields to feed swine, to feed hogs. And he, the boy, the son, was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father, Jesus said. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry, Jesus said. For this son of mine was dead. And he's come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to be merry. And we'll stop there. You will know the rest of that story about the other brother and the situation he was having to deal with. But we're, we're going to just let the first part of the story about the younger brother and the younger brother finally coming to his senses and coming home be our focus this morning. Jesus says, trust me with the ones you worry about. Don't you reckon that this daddy worried some, the human side of a father who would love a son and the son just says, I don't want any more of this life. I don't want any more of your faith. I don't even want any more of your God. I don't even want any more of your customs. I don't even want any more of your history. I don't want any more of anything. 
I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to make my own life. I'm, I'm out of here. Don't you reckon that that father grieved not only to hear those words, but grieved that the son actually acted upon his threats. I want to offer to you this morning, and I believe we'll be able to find them in this story, five parts, five aspects to trusting the Lord with somebody you're worried about. Now, at first glance, some of these are not going to seem to have a direct connection, but they do. Here's the first one. And the Lord says, trust me with somebody you're worried about. I believe one of the first things that he's saying to us is grieve the sadness. Grieve the sadness. Don't ignore it. Don't say it really wasn't that bad. It, you grieve the sadness. Where it hits your heart, grieve it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, the second of all of the Beatitudes, all of the blessed statements that Jesus makes there, the second in that extended list is this one. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The word for mourn there means, it, it's, a, it's equated with the kind of grieving, the kind of mourning that happens at the loss of a dear friend. Blessed are those who mourn. There is a blessing tied to mourning. There is a blessing that is released when mourning happens. And it's a special kind of comfort. It's another kind of comfort. There is, there is no part of our broken hearts that Jesus does not want us to welcome him into. Blessed are those who mourn. One of his names is, one of, the, one of Jesus' cherished names for so many of us is, he is the healer of what kind of heart? Broken. Isaiah 61, good news, he's come to heal the brokenhearted. Folks, something, something amazing can happen right there when you realize that the Lord is not just a spectator looking at the sadness of your heart that's been caused by someone whom you care about who has left, who's making choices that leave you out of the choices that are walking away from you. And everything that your relationship may have had at one time, it seems to be threatened, if not completely over. And that's broken your heart. It's breaking your heart. You have to live with it. Into that place of sadness. Hear the word of the Lord saying there's a blessing tied to mourning. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to look the other way. Tell the Lord. Pour out your complaint. If you That was Jeremiah's statement. I, David would do that. Often in the scripture, pouring out the sadness and the complaint. Grieve the sadness. Grieve the sadness. With regard to the one 
that you're worrying about. And that's tied to the second one. Second part, second aspect of trusting the Lord with somebody that you're worried about. And it's that massive principle in the New Testament. Forgive, forgive, forgive them. Another word, release them. Release them. In Matthew chapter 6, in Jesus' instructions on how we should pray, on toward the end of those words, and forgive us our what? Do you remember that? Our debts. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debts and debtors. Then then this at the close of the prayer, after the prayer, verse 14, for if you forgive men of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you release men from their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also release you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. A debtor is somebody who owes you something. A debtor is somebody who is obligated to pay you back in some way. How many times moms and dads have said with regard to growing children and even grown children, we don't deserve this kind of return on our investment in you. You owe us, in a sense, better than what we're getting back from you. The sadness that comes with that, this again, this father, This was not an eight-year-old child or a 12-year-old child or a five-year-old child. This was was a grown young man who had, in the the idea of it, because the father seems to be a man of wealth and, and, and substance, been raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had all kinds of advantages. He had been freely blessed with things and with, with support and love from the family, evidently. And then what does he pay it back with? Just leaving. No gratitude. No thank you. No I appreciate it. At, at this point in his life, at this point in his life, there was no gratitude. There was the desire to just cut off anything that tied him to his family and be gone. Here's the deal, though. If that daddy, if the father in this story hadn't already worked through forgiving that boy, before the boy ever repented, before the boy ever came home, If the father hadn't worked through releasing the boy and the consequences of his actions unto the Lord, 
when the boy came home, the daddy would have still had a list. Before he started putting sandals on his feet and a robe around him and a ring on him and killing that fat calf, he would have had all of these things still on the list that the boy had to get right before he could ever go in that house again. You see the difference. You see the difference. The Lord is saying by the words of Jesus and this character that he created, as it happens, as it's going on, as the offense is occurring, just keep giving it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Release it. Release it. If you hold on to it, if you hold on to it, folks, listen, the ones you worry about may come home, but if they understand you've still got this list and this performance thing all laid out, they may never stay. And Jesus has said, as you forgive men, as you release men, as you release people of what they've done to you, your heavenly Father releases you. But if you don't release, then just understand that something happens in the heavenlies. But folks, the worst thing that may happen about somebody disappointing you and somebody walking away may not be the heartache there, but if it, that has become so, so great of an offense and so, so intense as your list and all these things that were wrong and, and that they are obligated to fix with you, the, the greatest problem may not be between you and them. Then it becomes the problem between David said, if I regard iniquity in, the, in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Again, a principle, a kingdom principle, and why it's just emphasized again and again. As the Father has forgiven you, then you forgive others. As he released you from things that, that you were, in many senses, obligated back to pay. We, we breathe free air. We live in a free body. We, we, we have blessed in so many ways, and yet we can turn away and we can spurn his reputation and his name and, and we don't even see that sometimes when it relates to others who have hurt us and the Lord is saying from heaven's perspective you, you, you release them as the father you desire for the father to release you because if you hold on to stuff then it can be a problem in the relationship, in the fellowship between you. It's, not, it's all of a sudden saying that what was done wasn't that bad. It may, it may be desperately bad, evil, wicked, godless. But it means I'm choosing to take what was done to me by this one that I worry about. And I, I release what was done to me by that one under him, under the Lord. I give it to you, Lord. It's too much for me to care. You know it hurts me, but I give it to you. Folks, a part of trusting the Lord with somebody who worries you is handing over to the Lord the things that that one may have done to offend you and disappoint you and grieve you and abandon you. I'm, it's gotten real quiet in here, and I know this isn't, this isn't real light stuff. But I tell you, 
the Lord desires for us to walk in freedom, in freedom, in freedom, even with regard to the burdens that we carry and the the places of, of, of sadness that can fill our hearts at times. He desires for us to know his power to bring freedom in that place. And he has the power. If he accomplishes it on the cross for our sins, he can accomplish that in us and through us with regard to others who have offended us and hurt us. Is this vile world, the old song says, is this vile world a friend to grace to draw us on to God? In other words, if we're going to know some of the aspects of the amazing grace of God, God will often allow the circumstances in this world, in this life, to teach us what grace looks like, what grace feels like. Is this vile world a friend to grace to lead us on to God? So what if... What if in being burdened for the ones that we're burdened for and worrying about them and having to sort back through, why are they doing this? Why did they choose that thing? They they knew how it would affect us. Why would they do that? If God is intending to use that to show us how deep and how thorough and how specific is his grace and his mercy toward us, in the places, the secret places of our lives that no one but heaven alone knew we ever thought that thought or had been to that place or done those things. And yet his mercy wonderfully has rewritten our lives. And so what has been a benefit to us? He wants it to be a benefit to others. I say to you, that boy may have come home But if a daddy hadn't done the work of release and forgiveness ahead of time, the boy might have shown up, realized the atmosphere, realized the list, and turned around and maybe not gone to that same far country, but would have left the house again. Why come home? Why come home if everybody is still ticked? Why come home? Well, they better come home. Well, yeah. That, that would, it would seem that that would be a better place to be. But most of the time, we do what we want to, what we feel like we ought to do, rather than what we ought to, especially when you're in a place of running from God. The boy may have never come home again, never checked, checked in again. If the father hadn't already been through the list. You see, the one that had the biggest problem with it was that older brother. The older brother still had his list. The father's list had been given to the heavenly father. Grieve the sadness. Let the Lord meet you there. When the tears come, let him meet you at the place of tears. When the memories come and the the recollections of things, let him him meet you there. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Let him bring light into the dark places by his presence. Grieve it. And then forgive. Release. Release this one unto the Lord. Third, to trust me. 
the Lord would say with who you worry about. Determine who is responsible. Determine who is really responsible. They are, not you. They have chosen. You didn't choose. They walked away. You stayed put. Determine who is responsible. You are not responsible for their choices, and this is not a consequence of your failure. And here's the reason that's so important. As long as you see yourself as a part of the cause for what they did, you will be perpetually vulnerable to the tug, to the urge, to the pull of helping out. Mom, Dad, I'm broke. I don't know where my friends are. I'm having to move out of this apartment because I can't pay my rent. Mom, Dad, and yet Mom and Dad know that that was a choice that in many cases the Mom and Dad may have spoken against, may have encouraged not to do, but they did it anyway. They did it anyway. They did it anyway. And you are not responsible for that action or for the results of it. But if you say, well, I wasn't the kind of dad, I wasn't the kind of mom, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't there for this and I wasn't there for that. If you're owning any part of their choice, then you're, you're sucked in to enabling where they are. Your heart, folks, listen, there hadn't been and never will be but one perfect father and he is not visibly in this room there's never been a perfect mother a perfect mom never has been never will be we do the best we can might throw it there's never been a perfect friend except for one and he died to save us from our sins he died in our behalf. It, it, it has to be established. The responsibility, the fault, if you will, has to be established in this place of trust. Because the Lord would say, trust me, trust me totally, trust me completely with your child or with one that's worrying you, trust me. But you're saying, okay, Lord, I trust you, but then you're writing checks. Oh, we're making it, we're trying to make I don't, I don't want anybody saying, you heartless old codger, you, you old rascal, you, you don't have any heart for my kids. We, got, we have three of them, you know, one of each, you know. I said, what kind of you got? We have boy, boy, girl, one of each. We, we, we have three, and they're, they're, we, have one, we have one son and we have two daughters. And, and these dynamics are, are very real. In, in, in the whole, but, but you, 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 you come back to the place of having to realize 
I can't let them go on the rest of their life blaming their, blaming their daddy. I can't let them allow them with my, to go on saying, what was my mama's fault? Grow up. You're not going to be able to blame mama or blame daddy and, and, that's, and get away with it. Life will swallow you up if you're living the blame game. And, and the father, the father who probably had the resources to be able to go after the boy, snatch the boy, or go and stay there and live with the boy and fund the boy until whatever, he didn't. He didn't. He gave him the lump sum in the beginning. And when that was gone, it was gone. The daddy didn't search for him. The daddy didn't write him more checks. The daddy let him go and do what he had to do. And then when he came to his senses, as Jesus said, he looked around and at that point, he began to realize what in the world he had walked away from. They have to learn some hard things on their own. That the way of the transgressor is hard. It does not mean that this daddy in Jesus' story ever quit loving that boy ever quit praying for that boy, ever quit hoping and looking that he would come home, but he would not chase the boy down. He would not fund the boy's rebellion. He would not soften the blow of the consequences of the young man's choices. Didn't mean he didn't love, didn't mean he didn't care, didn't mean he wasn't ready when the boy came home, but he just knew that until the boy or the girl, the boy, chased the dream, lived the dream, and found out it was a stinking nightmare, that he wouldn't come home. So he let him do what he had to do. They have to lose something have to lose some things in order to understand what they walked away from. So folks, here we go on this thing of trust me. Lord saying, trust me with those you worry about. And sometimes it can look like when we're trusting the Lord with those you worry about, and we're trying to follow a pattern laid out by this, like this, this father tried to live, that it can look like things are getting worse. And they have to. <laughs> If what has happened before hadn't brought them to their senses, then they've just checked out on kindergarten discipline, and now they're moving up into the middle grades and middle school and high school. And the Lord's saying to them, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to stay in this place. But if you choose to stay in this place, then just know you're going to get what this place brings you. The, the first two stories in Luke 15 about the lost coin and the lost sheep are concluded by Jesus saying, 
There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over many who don't need to repent. Remember what that word repent means. Very important. It means literally to know after. To know after. In other words, there are going to be some things that we're going to not know the truth about until after we go through them. So to repent means I've gone through some stuff, I made some choices, I went through some stuff, but now on this other side, Jesus uses this phrase, he came to his senses. He saw it and said to himself, my, my daddy's, the men who work for my daddy have more to eat than I got. I'm not worthy to go home as his son and try to play like I'm a, I ought to have the same last name I've always had. But if I could just go home and work for my daddy, work under that covering, then that's where I'd want to be. Isn't that, isn't that good how Jesus made that story up? Isn't that amazing how he put it like that? that? He knew that the boy had to come to these conclusions on his own. He knew that it was breaking the daddy's heart. The dad had to let him go. And, the dad, and, and, and if the dad had, had th kept throwing money at him, kept trying to make it easier, it would have prolonged the whole process. And that is a major, major issue. It can be with adults, parents, and grown children. The Lord's trying to bring us to our senses, and somewhere or another it just keeps being made easier for us to stay in the place where the harvest keeps coming in. I wonder why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Why, doesn't, why don't things change in the far country in rebellion, away from where the Lord, the Lord's blessing and His provision will be, it's always going to be hard there. Satan comes to steal and to kill and destroy. It's the Lord who gives life and life abundantly. But wherever Satan is controlled, is in control, stuff is going to be perpetually stolen, being killed, and being destroyed. So the smartest thing to do is to get out of the places where He's ruling. Do I have a witness? Get, get, get out of there. Get out of there. Get out of there. So, determine who's responsible. It's not you. They're choosing. Number four, grieve the sadness. Forgive. Determine who's responsible. And number four, go on with your life. Go on with your life. Instead of allowing the train wreck of their life to be the cloud and the atmosphere that determines your life. Let me just point this out. This is not any new revelation. But do we realize that our heavenly Father in heaven knows 
everything that is going on on planet Earth in the human sphere and every other sphere. There is, there, is no, there is no bad, no depth of bad that he doesn't know, no depth of cruelty that he doesn't know, no systems of depravity at work that he's not completely aware of, just as he's not oblivious to the good and the beauty and the, the wonderful things. But for him to be aware of depravity, aware of cruelty, aware of great shameful things and for the Bible to still say, it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Just because God knows more than any of us will ever know about the worst of the human race, that is not attributed to him as being his greatest place of strength. It is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Somehow we need to understand we have permission. If, if, if people that we care about are trashing their lives, we have permission to go on with our lives and not be crippled, overshadowed, rained on, hailed on, earthquake all around us because of the stuff that they're choosing for themselves. This, this daddy evidently still had a business to run. He had employees, servants to deal with. He had crops to cultivate. He had another son to navigate. He probably had, there had to be a mother somewhere. You know, she was there attending to his wife, taking care of his wife. But he had this runaway boy that he never quit loving, that he never stopped missing, that he was doing his best to turn over the outcome to the Lord, but he went on with his life. The point of that is, even with the sadness and even with the sorrow around ones we care about, the Lord doesn't expect you to stay in that place of heaviness and depression, it goes back to who's responsible. They are responsible for their choices, but who is responsible for getting them out of that mess? Who, who has the power to get them out? Who has the power to deliver them? Who has the power to bring them to their senses? It's not us. He is. He is. So, folks, listen, if I'm trusting him with ones that are breaking my heart, ones that, are, that, that, that can worry me to lose, to chase sleep from my, from my nighttime, but I'm choosing to trust him, then it means I, I'm, I'm rolling the burden off it on, on him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, believing that he will carry the weight. And the response back to me is a lifted heart, a heart that could chuckle, a heart that can smile, a heart that would want to go have a good time in a clean and right sort of way with people who want to have a good time. You're not supposed to be imprisoned by somebody else's debauchery. Get on with your life. And you know what sometimes... The ones who know they can nail us, know they can affect us, 
It's almost like they just, they just draw strength from seeing us miserable. But when, hey, love you, praying for you, but see you later, Jack. We're, 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 going, we're going on. We're going to have Christmas. We're going to have Thanksgiving. We're going to have a good time as a family. We're going to eat good. We're going to be together. You may not, you, you may be thinking one way. Sometimes they don't even think about us. We're, all, we're under this cloud, and they don't even think about us. It's the other side. So why not go on with your life? Where the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where he's given us all things freely to enjoy. He's given brothers and sisters in Christ the ability to enjoy each other and enjoy this life. And why shouldn't we move on? Permission. Permission is what we're talking about. Permission. To not feel like just because somebody you care about is struggling that you've got to come under the same cloud of oppression. You don't. Permission granted. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, the last one is this. Josh is helping me remember that time is of the essence. I appreciate it, Josh. Here's the last one. Let me give you the first four again. Grieve the sadness. Forgive them. Release them under the Lord. Determine who is responsible. Determine who is really responsible. Number four, go on with your life. And number five, give God time. Give God time. God is not mocked. Some will mock temporarily, but that's, that's a statement. Galatians chapter 6, it, it's, a, it's an edict from the Word of God. It will not be violated. God is not going to be ultimately mocked. And then that's tied to the statement. For whatever a man sows, that's what he'll reap. And try to live as if God's not, God doesn't see this, God doesn't care, there is no God. You just sow and you see. God will not be mocked in the return of the harvest. God will not be mocked in what comes back in at harvest time. And harvest is always later, and harvest is always more of it. So, We give God time to let the harvest come in. We got to give God time as well for him to resist the proud. God resists the proud but gives what? Grace to the humble. But also give God time to be the shepherd. (laughs) To be the shepherd who knows the 99 sheep that are well-behaved and they're in the fold. I got this other knuckle-headed, hard-headed other one that's out somewhere, and the shepherd goes after the sheep. Give God time 
to be the shepherd in the life of the one you worry about so that one will be able to know when nobody knew where I was, when nobody could help me. It was then that this Jesus that my parents talked about, this, this, this Jesus that, that others had told me about or that I used to know maybe as a little child, but it was that Jesus. Read my lips. You see this in my face? I'm telling you, he came and got me. I was trapped. I was caught. I was lost. I was dead meat for coyotes. And he rescued me. Give God time for him to be the shepherd. And give God time for him to be able to be the father. The father. When, when the boy, when the runner, when the one who breaks the heart finally comes to their senses. And they want to come home. And they realize it's the love of God. Not a baseball bat. It's the kindness of God. It's the mercy of God flowing from the heart of Father God. Folks, sometimes, sometimes we as ones who love them aren't necessarily able to declare that, convey that in the clearest way. But God knows. God has a plan. You, you haven't been led to stop praying and stop caring. Well, that's the Holy Spirit triggering your spirit to agree with what he wants to do. You don't know when it's going to be, how he's going to do it, but you're in agreement. God, your time's coming, and I'm believing you. Be the father, the Luke 15 father. Well, the last one of those little give God time, give God time to cause all things to work together for good. So those who love God are called according to his purpose. We're talking about some of these that, that, that we worry about, but when they were younger, they gave every evidence of having given their heart to Christ. They had a witness, had a testimony, had a, had a heart for the Lord. I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. He said, I'm confident, I'm bold about this one thing, that he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God's going to finish what he started. There may be 40 years of running with the devil. But if God started something when they were 5 years old or 15 years old 21 years old. He's going to finish what he started. You see how all of that, when if we're trusting the Lord, we're trusting the fact that he's the ancient of days. His calendar isn't our calendar. His time isn't always like our time. But we're trusting the one who has no limits to his ability. There's nothing he can't see. There's nothing he can't do. There's no place he is not. So when I'm trusting him, him with the ones that can keep me awake at night. I can when it settles in on me. Roll over, put my head on that pillow, and just go out until daylight. Not feeling that it's any part of my responsibility to fix them, find them, fund them. Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm just trusting you. I'm trusting you. 
Well, how's your son doing? How's your daughter doing? How's your ex doing? How's your whatever? I'm trusting God. I'm trusting the Lord with them. Let me tell you, somebody who understands what you just said, well, no, you just said a mouthful is what you just said. I'm trusting. I'm trusting the Lord. I grieve the sadness. I release. I forgive. I determine who's responsible. I'm going on with my life. And as I'm going on with my life, I'm giving God time to do what he can do. Okay, so as that person rises up in your heart, okay, that whoever that is, or those, would you just start saying, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. don't even need to ask him for anything that's said. He already knows. But what if the point, what, what if a major trigger in this whole process is that he's wanting us to know how deeply he loves us, us, how much he cares about what affects us? And when we open wide the door, Lord, I'm trusting you, it means that we're not leaving any category of felt need out of what we're opening the door for him to have. I trust you, Lord. As you were merciful to me, as you provided for me, as you've rescued me, I'm trusting you to do what you know is right with this one I care about. You are God and I am not. You can say that back to him too. He'd, I believe he'd like to hear that. You are, especially a mama, you know, or a dad. You, you, you are God and I am not. Dads write checks and moms try to get dads to write checks. That's how that works. But where in the process are we burying ourselves in this heart that Jesus described of this father loving this boy who for this season in time, it wasn't his whole life, but for this season in time, he was out there. But God had a plan. God had a plan. Lord, I thank you for everybody who's in this room this morning. I thank you for the ones who are listening on the internet. I thank you, Lord, for the circumstances in our lives that you are at this very moment impressing us to just release unto you and to back away from, to step away from, get out of the mix and allow you to do what is your heart to do. Thank you that in this room, in this house, there are so many of us that have known the power of God by your spirit to rescue us, to bring us back, to cause us to think in a new way when we were so convinced that that wasn't the truth and we had our minds made up. And we, we, we know what it is that the way of a man, it seems right, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of it is destruction. You've shown us that, Lord. We trust you to do the same and more, whatever is necessary in the lives of those we love, that we tend to worry about. Lord, would you take worry from our hearts and replace it with a confidence in you, with a confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.